2: W-A-B-E in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Wrights. thank you for listening. In basketball, the word flex is a strategy of tight, coordinated passes set up with a chance to score. To succeed, every team member must be in absolute sync with hyper-focused intensity to their work. Flex is also the name of a stage play about five young black female basketball players in rural Arkansas with dreams of going pro, but who first must navigate the complex world around them. Later this hour, we'll hear about the co-world premiere of Flex at Theatrical Outfit, from director Patro Harris and actor Haley Elizabeth. Plus, the Sunset Carnival, a multimedia experience and dance party that's part of the Elevated Atlanta Art Festival. First, long before there were city lights, Atlanta's arts and culture show on WABE, there was City Lights, the marvelous silent movie featuring Charlie Chaplin. September 29th marks National Silent Film Day, a rare opportunity for moviegoers to experience screenings of classic silent motion pictures Accompanied by live music, the Strand Theatre in Marietta will offer a full schedule of screenings with live musical accompaniment by Atlanta's best theatre organists. Joining me now via Zoom, organist Ken Double, Andy Gaines, General Manager at the Strand Theatre, and Christopher Escobar. Owner of the Plaza Theater, welcome to City Lights.
3: Delighted to be here, Lois.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for having
3: us.
4: Always a pleasure.
2: My pleasure. I have wondered about how an organist or pianist creates musical accompaniment to a silent film. Is the music precisely scripted to match the movie, or is it improvised?
3: There's a little bit of both, and it depends on the player. There are a few original scores dating back to the late teens and 1920s that still exist. And so there are a few players who have tackled that task. But for the most part, Lois, the way I was taught the art form and, and, and discussing with people like Gaylord Carter and Lee Irwin, who were magnificent players that dated back to the 20s and 30s it was find major scenes and find major characters and create themes that match those scenes and characters. And then there is a certain level of improvisation as you then transition through the film. But it becomes based on major themes, much like if you're watching a great talkie, so to speak, and you hear the great Max Steiner score and the great John Williams scores, you'll hear repetitive themes throughout the background of a talkie. We do the same thing in silent film. With the same key, augment what's happening. Don't overplay what's happening on the screen.
2: Hmm. I read that silent films sometimes were released with cue sheets for accompanists, and those contain notes on what kind of music to play at specific moments in the film. In the movies you are accompanying, Ken, are you using any original cue sheets or playing any material specifically composed for that film when it was made?
3: Uh, No, I am working off of themes that I have created for, so to a certain degree, it's an original score. Oh. Uh, and I do some silent film work. Now, Ron Carter is going to be performing at The Strand when he plays the, the great Harold Lloyd film, Safety Last. And Ron does a lot of research and background work and a lot of preparation because he does a lot more silent film work than I do.
2: Oh, Andy, what are some of the movie selections guests will get to watch at The Strand? So we are so lucky that we are going to have five
4: different shorts that will be played before the main feature of Safety Last. We've got a Laurel and Hardy. We've got two Buster Keatons. We've got two Harold Lloyds in addition to Safety Last. And we're going to bring organists from all around the American Theatre Organ Society's Atlanta chapter to come and play. And all of them are very familiar with playing at the Strand because We love our silent films, which aren't really silent. And they also come and play before our main shows at the Strand Theater. So every time someone walks in, they get a little bit of that silent era.
2: Chris, there will be a special screening of the Phantom of the Opera at the Plaza Theater. Why is this film ideal to watch on National Silent Movie Day?
5: Yeah, well, you know the nice thing is the Plaza Theater is especially known for a lot of the horror films or sci-fi films and genre films that we play, and so the timing of being able to, as we start to turn our attention towards Halloween, the timing of being able to watch a film like that in its a you know original format in in one of you know Atlanta's last historic cinemas and be able to experience it in a way that's new even to the Plaza because while while the plazas over 80 years old silent film is not really a part of our of our cinematic history we didn't we didn't really open until after you know film sound was well by far the norm So it's a little bit of old, a little bit of new, and a, and a great way to, to be, you know, watching this film, experiencing it. And as far as I understand, too, the timing is, is interesting, too, because the Broadway show was just announced that it will be concluding. So kind of an interesting timing.
2: Ah. can you will play the organ alongside that screening at the Plaza of Phantom of the Opera.
3: What do you love
2: most about this score?
3: First of all, it's a great film and it is it is part horror, but it's really a love story. And if people have seen the Broadway show, they get the gist of the story. And uh, what's the most fun is while you're playing, you can sense the reaction of the audience. And so if the silent film player is doing his job, first and foremost, We hope the audience gets completely engrossed in the film and they forget you're even there. If that happens, you have done your job. The greatest compliment we ever get playing silent film is my God, I never heard the music. And then you can feel the reaction and you build up to that great unmasking scene. Or if you have properly played the music of the love themes for the two main characters, that's the most rewarding for me.
2: If you are just joining us, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Wrights, speaking about the upcoming National Silent Film Day with Chris Escobar, Ken Double, and Andy Gaines. Chris, would you share with us your family connection to some stellar organist? <laughs> Yeah. So my
5: father-in-law, so my wife's father is Hector Oliveira, who is regarded in many circles as one of the greatest or most famous living organists in the world. He is a little bit of a unique character in that he plays different styles of organ, both classical and contemporary on pipe organs, on electric organs. He does a you know variety of musical selections from Bach to Bohemian Rhapsody. I've, I've heard him do, do the entire John Williams orchestration of the Star Wars theme. So it's, it's, oh. it's an amazing mix. Uh, but one thing I'd also love to add that Ken has mentioned a little bit around is just that this is such a unique way uh, if you're seeing a film here at the Plaza or the chances you can go up to the Strand Theater and see a film there is where cinema has a liveness quality where we rarely are able to have that's a special, unique opportunity that you definitely wouldn't get at home and you wouldn't even get coming in a normal day to the cinema. But what I also wanna just point out also is the incredible, just mind-blowing level of musicianship that is involved that the organist, and in this case, Ken, has to have and the amount of familiarity they have to have with this film. And that it's not just sound and orchestration, it's also serving as sound effect, serving as so many things. And, and they have to be able to do it. And the nice thing is that they can, they can, as Ken was saying, respond to the energy of the audience. And there is that liveness quality. And so it's not just that they can perform, you know, what's on the page or what they know. And it's not that they, that it would be the same hundred percent of the time, no matter how many times they, they do the show, there's always that liveness quality and that it, it, it it's going to change and live and be kind of in a, much more like you would live theater or a concert or things like that. So it's very it's very unique.
2: very active experience for musician and viewer. The Plaza Theater has its own digital theater organ. How did you come to acquire it?
5: Well, the credit there goes to Ken Double and our and our friends at the American Theater Organ Society's Atlanta chapter. Ken had had approached the plaza under prior ownership and they looked at it and it was just a little more complicated than they wanted to deal with and so one of the first phone calls I made when I was actually going to be able to purchase the plaza back in 2017 was to Ken and to go hey remember that thing we tried to do is that still possible can we do it so I don't know if Ken you want to speak to that
3: So my history as the president of the American Theater Organ Society for 10 years, the international organization, put me in touch with a lot of people, including a a person who had a three-manual Allen digital theater organ that he needed to find a new home for, and he was willing to make the donation. So it came to our chapter, and we acquired it, and it was a little bit of kismet. Where can we find a place to put this where it can be heard and enjoyed by the public and enjoyed by our chapter here in Atlanta. And there was Chris Escobar, the son-in-law of the great Hector Oliveira (laughs) with a great theater that we could place this electronic organ in. And it sounds magnificent in the space. And so uh, a lot of dominoes fell in the right direction. And it was very similar to what happened 12, 13 years before uh, at the Earl Smith uh, Strand Theater.
2: Wow.
5: I should also add that when Ken and I originally you know, talked about this, I consulted my father-in-law and he said, well, only accept the organ if it's a Lynn Larson signature series, Allen Organ. And that's exactly what it was. And he said, okay, then you're, you're in good shape. <laughs> and we're also very excited on a related note because my father back during the Save the Fox campaign, I mean, he did a Hector Oliveira concert. I mean, he, he actually got to announce that the Fox ha- had now crossed that line of being saved So it's kind of an interesting family tie back there. And and now with with Ken being there, we're actually going to have him here on October 23rd to do what's actually now going to be officially our dedication concert for the organ. So I know that's skipping ahead a little bit, but it's kind of an interesting way of that coming back full circle.
2: Very special. Moving pictures on screens dominate our lives every day. It, the very word film means something different now than it did in the silent film era. CGI blockbusters and TikTok videos come to mind as examples of how profoundly film has changed as an art form. How might you introduce silent film to a younger audience member in a way that might help them appreciate this chapter of film history.
4: Yeah, I would love to talk about that. We've had an ongoing silent film series with Live organ accompaniment for 13 years and more than 80 feature-length films. But the key to getting kids, and as a father of three, I can tell you it's the silent comedy shorts. My favorite thing in this world is seeing those kids walk in, not understanding what in the world they are about to get themselves into, and maybe they're fighting a little bit, going, "Why, why am I going to watch this?" And every single time you see those kids beaming and so excited to see this, have an experience that they don't get to have anywhere else. Whether we're doing it for a a, a day, whether we're doing it, I always, whenever we're doing tours or if a a scout troop is coming through, one of the main things that we do is we make sure that they get a full experience inside that auditorium. And a great way to do that is with our theater organ. Billy Blazes is one of the ones that we'll be showing on silent film day. I just screened that for a group of scouts. And let me tell you, they had, they were just jumping up and down with joy. They had so much fun. It's so important for us to continue this tradition. And I will also say, out of all the shows that we do here at the Strand Theater up in Marietta, this brings more zip codes and more states than any other show in our repertoire. Well, that's interesting. And that, that,
5: that also just goes to show the importance of, of historic venues and historic theaters, being able to do something that is so rare. I have, you know, Andy made me think about this also as a father of three, That part of how I describe this to my own kids, and we had a summer camp here as well, is so many kids, my nine-year-old, my seven-year-old are familiar with TikTok and the idea that, that there is audio that already exists and people are making new original video and images to go along with it and that reinterprets the audio in different ways. Essentially, that's what we have here is a film that already exists, the image already exists, but the organist is now making new audio that interprets and interacts with the image in a new and interesting way.
2: So it is creating as well as recreating. The film historian David Pierce said, the silent cinema was not a primitive form of filmmaking waiting for better technology to appear, but an alternate form of storytelling. What can a silent film give us that no other storytelling medium can. Oh, that's
3: an interesting question, Chris. I can
5: I can start an offer that just, you know, one of the criticisms of what sound did to motion pictures has always been that it that it now changed the camera and changed the image in a way that it had not been before, that both physically cameras were not able to to move or it had to be sectioned off and eventually that that eased up but it restricted now that the way the audience was receiving the information was now much more reliant on hearing dialogue and hearing the sound and it's obviously introduced a, a whole variety of creative tools to work with and eventually you know the sound design caught up with with image design but in a silent film the image is first and foremost and what's being told visually is in the driver's seat and then, and then you have the organist have the, the extreme challenge of catching up with that and accompanying that and supplementing and, and filling in gaps. And that's really, I think, where the wizardry, wizardry comes with somebody like Ken a hundred years later, trying to both capture what existed and what was intended, but also maybe how to make it connect today. Ken, do you want to talk to th- about that?
3: Well, all I'm going to say is the great actress Lillian Gish always felt that the minute the actors began to talk, much of their acting ability disappeared.
4: Hmm. I would also just love to add, and this is what we tell for the first timers, language, spoken, that's the language of your brain. But music, that's the expression of your soul. And so when you come to a silent film, you don't need to be able to read everything. You just need to experience it. And having music being a driving force and that allows anyone from two years old up to 100 to experience that same thing and understand the emotion behind what's happening. So it makes it powerful.
2: Chris Escobar, owner of the Plaza Theater, organist Ken Double and Andy Gaines, general manager at the Strand Theater. National Silent Film Day is Thursday, September 29th. And more information is on our website, wabe.org/citylights in a moment the basketball court comes to the stage in theatrical outfits co-world premiere of flax amplifying atlanta this is wabe This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Wright, says thank you for listening. Let's set the stage for the new production of Flex at Theatrical Outfit. In a rural town in Arkansas, five young black female basketball players have dreams of going professional, but first they must navigate the complex world around them. Will they make a slam dunk and succeed or foul out? Flex by Candrice Jones is on stage through October 2nd in the Balser Theatre at Heron's downtown. Joining me now via Zoom are director Petro Harris and actor Haley Elizabeth. Welcome to City Light.
7: Thank you so much for having us, Lois. Thank you.
2: Oh, joy to have you here. First off, Patra, would you please explain the meaning of flex in terms of basketball?
7: Well, flex, yes. Flex is a basketball offensive term. So it's a scheme of how to play basketball on the offensive side of the ball. It's often associated with replacement system that one person asks the ball, they pass the ball so quickly that the opponents can't keep up with it. And they often said in the play, flex, so we can absolutely run that particular play. So you can't keep up with it. That's why it's been so wildly successful in the 90s.
2: Oh, wow. And I wondered, Haley, did you play basketball before taking on this role?
0: I did play a little bit of basketball. It was mostly park And, you know, community leagues as a middle schooler, elementary, I did a few years in high school. That's about as far as I got.
2: Are you a fan?
0: I am a huge fan of basketball. I actually wish I did play more of it. I just wasn't very good, believe it or not. Oh, (laughs) you can still be a fan. Yes, I'm definitely a fan, though. I do like watching it. It's always been a huge part of my family. My brothers have played it. My father has played it. My fiancé has played it. It's always been a huge part of my family, so I am a fan.
2: Me too. And, Patro, for those who may not know, in addition to directing, you are also quite a dancer yourself, as well as an accomplished choreographer. I did not know until I was Looking over this latest bio, you traveled the world with Stevie Wonder?
7: Yeah, I got a chance to do two of his tours, as a matter of fact, yeah. In the 80s and 90s, I did a couple of his tours, but we've since kept friends and came to D.C. for my birthday and hung out that stuff. So uh, he's a good dude.
2: And, and he did birthday? Did he perform that for your birthday?
7: Well, actually, saying it, we went to the Cheesecake Factory, I think. My first time being in the Society column of the Washington Post. You know. Oh, my. Oh, my, yeah. So uh, that was good. But he's, I learned a lot of stuff from him, being my first major job was an artist like that. You know. Wow.
2: Well, that's quite a first. Did you play basketball as well?
7: Well, yes, yeah, sports. And I grew up in Alabama, and sports was our way to get outside. So and, as uh, Haley said, just sand lock, you know, just playing, doing whatever. I wasn't the best shooter, but man, I could jump like crazy. <laughs> I, I could take the uh, opponent out of the game. I could get in their head. It was my psychology, stuff like that. But football was our major sport. And Then, of course, I was in the band. Actually, was my extracurriculum activity. But in our household, in the Harris family, you had to play sports to get outside. So, yes, we definitely play sports. And for this production, I went and ordered a ball in June and started working from June up until our time to... Rehearse it so I can get a little bit better with the scheme and feel of the basketball in our systems and Haley may not play it a lot afterwards but man she is smoking in the show
2: (laughs) that is great I read that this play is written in the structure of an actual game what does that entail
0: So basketball is broken up into quarters. You have four quarters in a basketball game. And so the way that Ms. Candris has set up this play is we do have quarters instead of, I guess you can say acts or scenes. We have a first quarter, a first quarter break, where we kind of slow it down and have a more of like a heart to heart moments. We have a second quarter, a second quarter break. We have a halftime. So Instead of it being intermission, it's actually a halftime where we're all hanging out at a really fun place, relaxing, and then we go into a third quarter, third quarter break, fourth quarter, fourth quarter break, and then we finally have an overtime, which is not guaranteed in every game, but if you get it, it's the best way to end any kind of basketball game.
2: Oh, wow. The playwright Cantris Jones is from Dermot arkansas which inspired the setting for this play how does the location of rural arkansas add to the narrative
7: it adds to the narrative in a way that it's a sense of community you know in the south you know we relate to people differently especially black culture and it's very african for us that the community pitches and you're raised the, the old saying is it takes a village to raise a one person, and that is true, and definitely in the South, and especially in Arkansas, where uh, Candace has given us this wonderful metaphor about us connecting and being connected to the dirt in the play we talk about, you know, does this dirt get on me, because uh, a star of the lead character, played by Haley, talks about The dirt is all on me outside on the dirt court, but it's also inside of us. You know, things grow from the dirt. Dirt is is wonderful, and you can't live without the dirt. So Arkansas plays a major role in how we, uh, how these people are affected in a community. And every environment does, but whether it be urban or or, um, a cultural or southern, but definitely in the southern culture, it plays a wonderful effect for us. Haley, your
2: character, Stara, is the protagonist. Would you tell us about her and the other characters, the sort of struggles they face on and off the court?
0: Absolutely. So Stara, she is a fiery, aggressive, assertive, relentless young Black teenage girl. And she is so determined to make it to the WNBA. This play takes place in the 1990s, right when the WNBA just started. And so there is this relentless attitude that she has about making it to this organization. As Patra was saying, in Arkansas, a lot of young Black teenagers felt that they needed some kind of ticket or some type of opportunity to help them get out of that more rural environment and get to a a bigger, you know, maybe urban community or something that can kind of get them into a next level. And so that was her ticket was basketball. And so a lot of the different characters in the play, they have that same dream. So basketball for a lot of us is our ticket out.
2: Mm. I read in Candice Jones's bio that she writes overall as a love letter to and for Southern women. How does that specific feminist aspect of the story play out?
7: Something I love about Candace's writing, I learn information about people that I did not know. I love the inside of her writing and talking about the basketball people and, and the women and how they care for each other and how they are strong. One of the things they talk about in the play is that one of the lines is talking about women with pregnant can can still be pregnant and move the whole world. But we don't think about that sometimes. You think about pregnant, oh, you got to sit down, you got to be still. From some perspectives, you know, but this perspective lets you know that you're still moving, you're strong, you're beautiful, you're brave, you're courageous, and all those things that are women are, and they and they all have some mission, something that. All the kids, I really like all the the characters in the play. They are thinking about going someplace. It is so hard to be motivated at that age and have a direction to go. You may not be sure where you're going, but man, they are on the move. And Mm. I would say, and woman, they are on the move.
2: (laughs) The play is set in the 90s, but still feels relevant today. What are some of the topical issues that FLEX addresses?
0: For one, FLEX addresses women's rights. There is a lot of themes about women's bodies, what we can and cannot do, this ability to be pregnant and move mountains, or the choice of whether or not to have a baby or not, whether we can be professional athletes or not. You know, we have all these conversations even now about WNBA players not getting paid enough. We have conversations about abortion that are happening Mm -hmm. right now. Um, A lot of these themes are relevant to what we see on the news today. So I would say Candice has given us a timeless play. Absolutely. I
2: saw the theatrical outfit brought on a basketball consultant, Keisha Brown, to be part of the crew. I'm Intrigued from your standpoint, Petro, as a movement artist and choreographer yourself, the role that Keisha Brown played, as well as how she helped you to
7: prepare. First of all, she is a dream. Coach Brown, as we called. Hey, coach. (sighs) She was a dream. So I, as a director, I had to learn the scheme of, like I said earlier, about flex, which is movement. You know, this person goes this person, this person goes there, that whole concept. But to come in and get the stamp of approval, because when she came in the first day, just to watch her dribble the ball, I was like, oh, she plays basketball. The skill level was so high. But she was so gracious and giving what she had to the team, you know, because you can't riff off something unless you know what it is. But she just came in, gave us great skills, gave us blocking techniques, learning put the ball in the pocket, something we learned to put the ball to your side so the opponent can't get it. So we learned terminology. We learned um, placement. We learned the shooting skills. We she just gave us an array of what we needed as actors to play these basketball players. She was she was uh, phenomenal in doing that and really clear concise, and just lovely to work with.
0: Keisha Brown was amazing. I like to say that she was the one who kind of made us look like real ballers. Patro, he brought out the the actors in us and the talent and the voice articulation, the movement, but Keisha, she was like, I'm going to make you look like you guys really play. So we have a a lot of respect and appreciation for Keisha Brown. Absolutely.
2: Pedro, earlier you talked about metaphor with the village and the beauty of dirt and all growing and rising out of the dirt. It seems Candris Jones has another metaphor with the basketball court itself, with the experiences and action of what takes place on the court, would you talk about the complexities of being part of a team and how that extends her metaphor?
7: Definitely basketball as a reference and the game as a reference. And we can easily relate it to just time period. Like Haley was talking about the first quarter. How you think about life or the game in the first quarter? It's totally different how you think about it in the fourth quarter, and especially if it goes to overtime. So those metaphors kind of seep into your life, but you know, if you if it's the top part of your day, but it's the end part of your day, you switch your thinking around what, what's important. What was important at the top of the day is to make sure you get everything accomplished by the end of the day. So those those metaphors are really great, like that, how it focuses in on life. You know, at the end of the day, it's something different. You know, at, at the end of the day, we've gone through this particular play. And there's a character called April who's caught up in life and trying to figure out not just love and basketball, but also her life and doing what she's going to do with her life. But she says, I don't know where I'm going to go, but I'm going to go somewhere. And that's just a beautiful element of knowing that maybe you may not be in the WNBA. Maybe you may not be basketball as a life, but you are going someplace on the planet. So that's a beautiful, beautiful metaphor, high ties, basketball and life and love all together.
0: Haley? Something that I specifically loved about Candice's play was her use of basketball language as almost stage direction for each dialogue. So whenever a character speaks, she provided basketball language, such as protecting the space or, or making a block or going for the shot all of those little small basketball movements were tied to every single dialogue in the first quarter of the play. And it wasn't so that you were necessarily doing those basketball ball moves. It was more of motivation for each actor so that they can understand what those words mean and how that relates to the game. From a basketball player's mind, The way that we protect the space, the way that we play in the paint, quote unquote, is very similar to how we move in the world. And so when you're able to kind of connect those two worlds, it helps a basketball player understand life and then an actor understand basketball. So they were just constantly complementing each other, those two worlds. And I really did appreciate that. Yeah.
2: Director Patro Harris and... Actor Haley Elizabeth, Theatrical Outfits Co World Premiere of Flex, is on stage through October 2nd in the Balser Theater at Heron's downtown. More information is on our website, slash city lights. Coming up, We'll hear about the Sunset Carnival, a multimedia experience and dance party which is part of this year's Elevate Atlanta Art Festival. Amplifying Atlanta, this is 90.1 WABE. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for being here. Since 2011, Atlanta's public arts festival, Elevate, has brought unique, quality experiences to our city. This year, their theme is Open Spaces, and events take place at various locations on weekends through October 9th. New this year is the Sunset Carnival, a multimedia experience and dance party taking place at Ali Events at Lakewood this Sunday, September 25th. You can expect to see artist Fabian Williams' work featured via projection mapping, as well as dancers, stilt walkers, and a performance from French icon Moshe 13. The Sunset Carnival's producer is DJ Sala Anansi. And when he recently spoke with City Light senior producer Kim Drobes, he explained how his collaboration with the Elevate Festival began.
6: It started last year when uh, Charmaine was curator, Charmaine uh, Minnefield was curator. Uh, she asked me to do a closing party, so I produced a closing party. And I had DJ Kim in, Anthony David and uh, a few other people come and sing and, and perform. OK, cello perform. It was nice. great. So um, we did that over at the uh, the Met. And um, this year I just wanted to do something a little bit bigger and a little bit different.
8: Yeah, it sounds like you definitely went big. So this offering has so many fun elements. But let's start with the projection mapping, which I believe is inherent to the event space. Is this the same technology that we're seeing with many of the immersive installations around town?
6: Yes, it is. So they have, I think it's 12 cameras that, that map the whole, I mean, 12 projectors that map the whole room. Um, mm. It's amazing. I mean, again, Ali at events at Lakewood, they, you know, they do it for weddings. They do it for everything. So when I knew that they had that, I wanted to come in and use it, and I and they, they were the perfect place to do it. So, I mean, other places can do it, but they're the ones I wanted to use.
8: And so tell us how Fabian Williams' work will be incorporated into that mapping.
6: So he's, he's picking out certain pieces of art, and we're going to take some uh, high-res images of his uh, murals, uh, some of his paintings, and, and just pro- project them on the wall. You know what I'm saying? And they'll change throughout the night.
8: So there's also going to be live music and live art and performance artists and stilt walkers and cosplayers. Is there a theme to what the cosplayers will be dressed as?
6: Well, the, um, it's really based on Fabian's art. So right now he's oh. in a, a, a futuristic period. So uh, most of us, you know, there'll be, there'll be lights in there, just like city lights. We're going to be lights uh, mm-hmm. going and almost like a futuristic carnival and a futuristic performance artist, you know, contortionists, stilt walkers, uh, dancers. Uh, we have an aerialist coming. So it's going to be cool.
8: Can you talk a little about the inspirations you drew upon from African-American culture, specifically unique to Atlanta's Lakewood community?
6: Well, the Lakewood community is changing. So I what I was trying to focus on is the new business and the new art uh, things going on at Lakewood. Because like I mentioned, the, the party recovery, uh, there's a spa in the same uh, facility uh, called Iwi Fresh. And we did our closing party there for our, our weekender uh, festival. So you know, there's, there's a lot of new, there's a lot of influx of new artists and new things coming to the area. So I wanted to really highlight that. That was that was why I focused on that area. And, uh, you know, when it comes to what I, the inspiration, the inspiration is really just Carnival, you know, the Carnival in Brazil, Carnival in, in the West Indies and the energy that they, that brings and the, the culmination and, and I don't know, the mixing of so many different art forms at the same time, music, dance, uh, visual arts. Uh, I wanted to do that and I wanted to create something that was immersive for people who come so they don't feel like they're standing on the outside looking in, they feel like they're inside looking out.
8: Sounds dreamy. Well, one of the elements is a performance by Moesha 13, who's an underground French artist. She DJs and she sings and she produces a really unique blend.
6: dance music but it's high energy dance music. It's faster than what we're used to here, but it's still, you know, very accessible to what we what we uh what our tastes are. So, it's it's very high energy. A lot of that um a lot of that music is coming out of uh, East Africa, like Kenya and a few countries in East Africa are doing the same thing. In her performances, she plays the music, she sings to it, and you know, she brings the the, the energy. So, we're happy to have her. You know, DJ Kimet and I are also going to be rocking along with Moesha13. And if you know what DJ Kim and I do, you know it's going to be fun with two of the DJs from House in the Park. We play everything. So we're open format DJs, but a lot of people know us for house and soul. So a little hip hop, a little Afro beats, um, just going all the way around the world with it and pleasing the dancers.
8: That's the main point, isn't it? Yes, pleasing the yes. dancers, right pleasing on. Pleasing the dancers. Fantastic. Well, this year, Elevate 2022 is exploring the many meanings of open spaces. What are your thoughts on this idea?
6: I think it's great. I mean, you know, this event is going to be indoor-outdoor, so we're going to have some elements outside in the parking lot, and then, you know, people can go in and out and experience everything we have to offer. But, you know, open spaces is big for me, you know, house in the park i do a rooftop event called sunset city groove so i love to be out in the elements and i love i love to be in the city see the sunset you know while we're partying Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful thing and just you know to get out and experience atlanta and how beautiful this city is is it's amazing and i love what elevate is doing making a way for artists to uh be showcased in the city and you know it's a beautiful thing i grew up here and i always remember murals and then there was a period where Everything went away, and now it's back, and I love it.
2: DJ Sala Anansi, producer of the Sunset Carnival, a multimedia dance party experience that's part of this year's Elevate Art Festival. The event is this Sunday, September 25th, from 6 to 11 p.m. at Ali Events at Lakewood. More information is on our website, wabe.org slash City Lights. Time now for our series, Speaking of Music, where we get to hear from Atlanta musicians in their own words.
1: Hi, my name is Adam McIntyre, I play drums, bass, guitar, keys, most importantly I'm the front man of the rock band, The Pinks, where I play guitar and sing.
0: Me, I want to feel it's special.
1: The Pinks are like a celebration of everything that's rock and roll, everything that I love about rock. There's blues, soul, boogie, hard rock, psychedelic, metal, it all fits together like a jigsaw puzzle, but don't get too caught up in labels because we're just a rock band from Atlanta, Georgia. You're not the one, this could be fun Here in my room with a love undone I'm not the one, the summer sun
3: Will punish us for what can't be undone
1: When I was about nine years old, I was graciously invited up on stage with Bobby Moore and the Rhythm Aces. And they showed me where to put my fingers and when to play, and they really didn't have to do that. These guys had had a hit searching for my baby on chess records, actually, in the 1960s. But their kindness put me in front of an enthusiastic audience for the first time. And when I got home that night, I couldn't sleep. I just wanted to do that again every night for the rest of my life.
3: You a man, but I,
1: right away. I came here in 2006 after finding Nashville, Tennessee to be really frustrating and kind of fake. Atlanta encourages its musicians and artists to be the biggest versions of themselves. And I really needed that after feeling like I was out of place and in the way. When I stood on stage as the front man of the pinks for the first time at the Star Bar, I felt like the audience wanted more, bigger, louder. And I just bloomed as a musician here from then on. I've been going to the Earl, Boggs, the Star Bar, and Smith's Old Bar, but with very few exceptions I think I enjoy myself at pretty much every venue here. We have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to quality and originality, but that only goes so far without attention from the community. I feel like if the developers that want to bring people to the funky fun and freaky little five points area succeed in dismantling the community center that is the Star Bar, they'll effectively remove the major component that makes Little Five Points special. It's like building a neighborhood called Beautiful Oaks and then cutting down the whole forest to do so. Support live music wherever you find it. We just released our fourth album, the self-titled definitive statement of the band, The Pinks, and that's Pinks with an X at the end. We have a show at the East Atlanta Strut on Saturday, September 24th at 2.45 p.m. We released a music video for the first single for the record, uh, Break Your Heart, a month ago, and we have a new video coming for Is That What You Want in a Couple Weeks. You can find links to our music videos and more information at www.thepinksrock.com.
2: Adam McIntyre of The Pinks. The band is playing this Saturday as part of the East Atlanta Strut Festival. And more information is on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. On Tuesday... The Abernathy Art Center reopens in Sandy Springs with numerous art classes and workshops. Classes for adults, teens, and children are offered for all levels. You can learn to create pet portraits, paint with watercolors, or make couture hat brims. There are a variety of subjects to sample, and registration is open now. For more information, go to their website, artsandysprings.org. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Monday at 11 a.m., Artistic Director Sue Schroeder tells us about Inside Out, the collection screening every evening on the front studio windows of Core Dance in downtown Decatur through September 30th. If you missed part of today's show, you can catch up on our website, wabe.org slash There you will find our complete archive of interviews, so you can listen to City Lights on your schedule. Our theme music is the first time written and performed by Joe Granston with his jazz band, Courtesy of Hot Shoe Records, City Lights' senior producer is Kim Drones, Summer Evans is our producer, and our engineer is Shelley Canavy. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes. We'd love for you to connect with City Lights on social media. We're at W-A-B-E City Lights on Facebook and Instagram. And you can follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thanks for listening to W-A-B-E Atlanta.